Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Okay, so Pastor Brandon, as well as others, are not feeling well because, you know, it's going into early December, late November, holidays, sickness going around. Um, And so with that, we're going to have a few guys just taking us through Nehemiah uh, chapters 1 through 4, and I have the privilege of just starting that out with Nehemiah chapter 1. Who's ready to jump into the Word? Okay, so yeah, this short little thing is called Getting a Burden for the Work. Um, And so it's really straightforward. There will just be one point uh, that we want to take from Nehemiah chapter 1 today. Uh, To start it out, I have a quick illustration. So at age 20, uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, a lot of people are entering the workforce or maybe they're, they're, they're in the middle of their undergraduate degree. Maybe you're moving out. Maybe you're commuting from home and, and going to school that way. But in the Bible, at age 20, uh, Jewish boys became accountable to the tithe, to be counted in the census, to go to war. And in other words, they were uh, entering into a new level of maturity and responsibility. And so it was just uh, kind of similar to, to what might go on here. We're, we're just transitioning into something where we're, we're accountable. And one of the other common associations for the number 20 is, is that of repentance unto restoration in the Bible. And I'll, and I'll show you a few examples real quick. So we're talking about turning away from one thing to uh, something bad to something better. So 1 Samuel 7, the ark of God had been housed in enemy territory for, for 20 years Uh, before Samuel called Israel to repentance. 1 Kings 15, Jeroboam reigned 20 years doing what was wrong, and then Asa became king and started doing what was right. And then in in Nehemiah chapter 1, it's after 20 years of the reign of a heathen king that Nehemiah, who had been scattered from his people, uh, after their captivity and the destruction of his nation's capital, he asks a simple question and gets a hard answer. And upon hearing that answer, Nehemiah did not think himself to be the immediate solution to the problem. Instead, he he chose to get on his knees and to get broken, to get as broken as the problems that he was seeing and to seek the Lord that the Lord would do the work. And so so today we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 to learn one key truth. Uh, Before we just go and do the work, we need to take the time to see the need and to get a godly burden. I'm going to pray real quick. Uh, Lord, (laughs) as we've already seen, Lord, there's just chaos. Uh, You know, people we know and love are sick. And uh, one of our our, our brothers and sisters, uh, you know, their apartment's setting fire. And just distractions left and right and and pain. And and God, instead of running from that, we choose to enter into that suffering. And and God, to be with our brothers and sisters and and our hearts to go out to them. And God, as we get into your word, we pray that it would get into us and God, that we would grow in our capacity to, to think and feel the way that you do, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Han and I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. 
And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at is that Nehemiah was really in a position of honor and comfort. And so you'll see, um, you know, at the end of the chapter, it says, for I was the king's cupbearer. So the cupbearer, bearer of the signet ring, chief financial officer, wine taster, uh, had a lot of uh, ties and knew a lot of people in the kingdom, uh, had direct access to the king of a powerful empire. And it, because of Nehemiah's standings and comforts, he didn't have to search out the state of his people in Jerusalem. He could have just kept doing what he was doing, right? But he wanted to. And so how did he get started and get the burden? First, he was willing to ask a difficult question, wasn't he? And when he got a difficult answer, he was willing to actually hear it out, right, and consider it. And not only that, but hold himself accountable to his responsibility to be part of the solution. Now, if that's just where we stop, that'd be like a really cool inspirational message, like be the change that you want to see in the world, right? <laughs> but we got we to gotta go somewhere else before that. So we're going to talk about Nehemiah's concern. And so he was concerned about two things, which you'll see right there, God's people and God's glory. But before we jump into that, I want to ask you, have you ever asked someone how their day was and they gave you a surprisingly real or heavy answer? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's a bit much. Keep that to yourself. No, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> We sometimes ask this casually without truly caring how the person's doing, because it becomes this social nicety, right? But, uh, but Nehemiah, he asked a very heavy question, and he got a very heavy answer. And, you know, the questions we ask and what we talk about, they reveal what we're truly interested in. And so what was Nehemiah's question, and what was he interested in? He basically asked, if we look back at the passage, we read it already, but he asked concerning the people, and he asked concerning the city. So... He was concerned about the people of God, God's people, and he was concerned about the city of God, which is emblematic of God's glory, God's rule and reign in the earth. And what did he learn, right? Like when you ask someone how their day is, they're like, it's terrible. <laughs> no, but in this case, he, he asked about exactly what he feared could be the case, and man, when he heard it, he was broken. There was only a remnant left. Um, many were lost. Those who were left were suffering, and, and the, the city walls remained broken down and, and, and burnt. After all these years, in Ezra 9, you see that there was a prayer and a desire to get this work back going, but after all these years, those walls were still broken down. But what we find in the following chapters is he wasn't just willing to ask and hear a sad answer. He knew he needed to step up and be willing to do the work. But here's the catch, right? Because, again, we had to go somewhere with this. Nehemiah was not impulsive, okay? So he did... He didn't immediately drop everything and ditch his boss and be like, yo, my king's king of all the earth, so see you later, right? He didn't act as if he had the power in and of himself to do what was needed to see God's people and glory restored. Instead, in this transition, right, age of 20 accountability, going towards repentance unto restoration, instead, he chose to relate himself to the brokenness of the people and of the city, to fashion himself in the likeness of broken down, burned walls and a suffering people, to break his own body through fasting. Because he knew that in order for repentance and restoration to, to truly take place, he had to seek the one and only God, the God of heaven, 
who is truly capable of doing that work. And so we're really just going to close by looking at a few ways that we can, can seek God to be broken, whether it be over the lost, whether it be over our brothers who are struggling, whether it be over sin, um, some, some practical ways that Nehemiah got broken like the problems he was seeing to get God's heart. So number one, he sat down. So he did not run to solve the problem. In a sober manner, he, he just took a breather and he sat down and he really considered what he heard. Number two is he wept. He didn't just say, everything's okay. Uh, he, he didn't say, well, you know, but I still got the promises of God. That's true. He had the promises of God and he knew that. And because he knew that, he related himself to the brokenness of the people and the city and he cried. Number three, he mourned for days. So he wasn't just bummed in that moment and go, man, that's pretty rough. Now I'm going to go on back and taste some wine and, you know, it could have been poison, so that's actually not that cush, but you know what I'm saying. I'm just joking, but seriously, he could have just gone back to his life, his comforts, his convenience, but he took his sweet time getting broken and enlarging his heart for God's people and God's things. Number four, he fasted. He deprived himself, like maybe like Daniel, of the dainties of the king and of his position and instead chose to relate himself to the sinfulness of sin and the brokenness of the broken. Who does that sound like? It almost sounds like Jesus, right? He prayed before God. Nehemiah wasn't like the Pharisees who prayed to be heard by men. He went into his prayer closet because he knew that God would hear and answer his prayers. All right, so that's it, guys. Uh, the key thing for us to take from Nehemiah chapter 1 is that before we go and do the work, or, you know, whatever it is that we're trusting God for, we need to take the time to get broken like the problems we're seeing and get a burden for the Lord to do the work. So if we, if we say it more succinctly, before you do the work, get broken and get the burden. And so maybe you're in a position where you, you understand uh, you're accountable to God and everything like that. You understand there's some responsibility, but deep down you know something needs to change. And if you're in that position... The one thing that might need to change, I don't know your situation, but it could just be that you need to get broken and you need to get God's burden in God's heart. So rather than being complacent with our conveniences and our standing before God, let's trust God to be a people that are burdened for the things that burden God's heart. Amen? Amen. All right. And let's uh, welcome Romeo up. He's actually going to share with us from Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, hey, guys. Love you so much. David, that's so good. Uh, I don't have slides, and I don't even have my fully worked out notes because they did not make it to the cloud. So I'm just going to get into the wide margin, and we'll just trust the cross-references. Those are good slides, too. That was like Hogwarts, I think. Huh? Oh, cool. <laughs> All right, well, I'm in Nehemiah chapter 2, and I just want to piggyback right off of what David was talking about. And um, there are two key points I wanted to talk about. Um, and the first is really just what David was talking about in verses 1 through 4 of Nehemiah 2. It says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? Like a lot of us, you know. And is nothing, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? 
Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. This first four verses, I'm going to call commune with Christ. Commune with Christ. Because like David was just saying, before we go and get to the work, we need to have a real and genuine burden for the work. As Nehemiah gets up, gets dressed for his day, and prepares himself to come before the king, a man of great authority and power and wisdom and influence, he is coming before the king, and that is a picture of when we come to commune with Christ. I want you to keep a finger here, but I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, and I'll just back this up. When we study the Old Testament, we know that the physical realities of the history of the Old Testament are a picture of the spiritual realities that we experience in the New Testament. And likewise, we know that all of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms speak of Christ. They don't just reveal spiritual realities pictured by historical realities, physical realities. They picture Christ. And here in Hebrews 4, 14, we get the picture. Seeing then that we, the church, have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, and here's the picture, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So as Nehemiah comes before the king, so do we come to commune with Christ in his throne room. The picture is of a throne room. And it's not just a throne room that Nehemiah comes to, though he's coming to a king on a throne in a seat of authority. We also get the picture of a dining room. Turn to Revelation 3. When we come to commune with Christ, we're not just coming before a king whom we ought to fear, a king who has great power, a king who has the ability to send us or not the ability to provide for us in the mission or not, we come before a friend at the seat of a feast. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, this is Jesus speaking in red words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And so as Nehemiah came to be at the king's table, so too we have the promise that if we will just open the door in our hearts through prayer and come before his word to be seated at the feast of his statutes and commandments, he'll come and meet with us. That's the promise we have. Just like Nehemiah was privileged above all the people in the kingdom to come before the king with a glass of wine seated between them, picturing the blood of Christ, mediating our relationship with the king himself, we can come before the king bearing the wine, the blood of Christ that allows us to commune with him and sit with him and get his heart. And that's what I want to picture as we move into the next section. So come back to Nehemiah 4. We commune with Christ and do exactly what David was talking about in coming before him and, and getting a burden and expressing that. He says, um, you know, why are you sad? Well, I'm sad because there are souls out there that need to be saved. I'm sad because I'm not okay that the city of my father's sepulchers is a graveyard, wasted and burned. I'm not okay with that, and I need to go. And because he had that burden, that practical, we come to a practical place. I want to give you some prayer points where we don't just commune with Christ and get our hearts right, burden for the work, but where we count the cost. Count the cost. 
Verse 5. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight. Do you see the humility there? We come to Christ, not just boldly, but humbly. If it pleases you, God, as your servant, if I found favor in your sight, would you send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it? And here's the first counting the cost that I want us to count. We need to be purposed. If you could have anything, right? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want to do with your life? When you get out of bed, what do you want to be the result of you getting up and getting to work? What's the one thing? Is it a career? Is it a relationship? You know, is it your own comfort? No, Nehemiah said, the one thing I want of the king is to be used in his work to build the kingdom. And we need to be purposed. That's surrendering our agendas. My agenda is going to be building God's kingdom. And when we commune with Christ, we need to count that cost, surrendering all other agendas to go forward with a kingdom agenda in the mission. In verse 6, the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. I mean, praise God, he wants to send us, right? But here's the key, and I set him a time. Here we need to not just be purposed, but we need to be available. You need to clear your schedule. Right? Here's the question I would be asking myself with this verse is, is the mission a priority in my monthly schedule? Do I give him my time? Fulfilling the mission and counting the cost for it means taking the time. It will cost you surrendering your time. For Nehemiah, it would be months of labor. Months. He, took, he, he, wasted all, he burned all his PTO. He cleared off everything on the agenda, and he said, for these months, I'm just going to get to work. And is that what you're saying to yourself when September and October rolls around and it's time to hit the campuses and do evangelism? Or when we get off a holiday break and we go back to work and we see our coworkers, are we saying, I'm going to use this time, the time that I have, for the mission to win souls? The mission will require you to surrender your time and be available. Then in verse 7, he says, Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. Okay, well, this one's pretty easy, right? So remember the Old Testament, historical realities picture spiritual realities in the New Testament. We got letters. <laughs> God gave us letters so we can go under his authority. The king has sent us a letter and commissioned us as his ambassadors the mission will require you to surrender your will and to fall under the authority of God's letters. The word is our final authority. Here's what I mean by this. Here's the question I would be asking myself. When I make a decision, is God's word my authority? When I make a decision, is God's word my authority? When Nehemiah asks for letters, he got the time off that he was asking for um, so he could go to Kenya for a month, right, David? Hey, that was cool, right? But then he said, I want letters because the letters are an extension of the king's authority. So now anything Nehemiah says, he does it under the king's authority. Anything Nehemiah does, he does it under the king's authority and not his own. Your homework is 2 Corinthians 5, where we get not just the ministry of reconciliation, we get the word of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We can go in his stead with his word in his ministry. Here, Nehemiah is saying, give me your authority. Let me go under your authority. And then we come to verse 8. 
And he said, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And praise God, he provides, right? Like he gives us resources to steward in his kingdom. And so I would say this verse is calling us to be wise. Surrender your resources. The things that you have are what you have to work with. The resources you have, your gifts, your time, your talent, what God has equipped you to do, you need to go use it in the work. Um, I would just give as final homework as I'm closing here, uh, just go back to Luke 14. If you've already been through COD, uh, go back to your COD notes and study out Luke 14. There is a cost. You don't just get a burden and get your heart stirred and walking away from a Sunday, wiping the tears from your eyes and then do nothing with it. There's a cost. It's going to take our time. It's going to take working evangelism, working ministry, working discipleship, working small group into our schedule. It's going to require us to be available. It's going to require us to make hard decisions that the word is calling us to make and committing to those decisions because we're under the king's authority. But it's going to require us um, to use the resources we have for God's glory. We're not our own, amen? Our lives are not our own. The things we have are not our own. Our agenda is not our own. Everything we have is for God's mission. And here we get a beautiful picture of Nehemiah coming before the king, just like we commune before Christ. And as they converse about how they're going to get this job done, it just shows us there's a cost for doing work. Work is costly. Work is hard. Work takes time. But it's worth it because it's what we've been called to do. And so uh, that's my time. And uh, I will... Pass it off to Uriah. Thank you. Well, how's it going? All right. This is nice. I kind of like this because it feels, I've felt pretty scattered just from the holidays and the rest, the rest days and Bible study was all over the place and we just had to hung out, hang out. And, and so getting back focused on Nehemiah is specifically good for me. I hope it's good for you. It's kind of like, uh, like you, when we used to watch cartoons because that's in the past, we don't watch them anymore. But we used to watch cartoons, and it's like the, the, the synopsis of, you hate that it's happening, but it like catches you up on what you've already watched. Like obviously you're just waiting for the next episode, but it's like, previously on Dragon Ball Z, you know? So that's what this is, I mean, just a refresher. I, I mean, optimistically, everyone should have already studied these chapters. They should just be refreshers on messages that you have heard. If you haven't, I mean, attend a Bible study, plug in. We all are doing these studies together, and it's super easy. Um, I think Seth's going to talk more about it, but um, just find somebody. I mean, we love to study the Bible. That's what we're all about in our, in our Bible studies, just in groups of six or seven. We just like to hang out and talk about the Bible. Right, Dom? It's your favorite thing to do. Just won't shut up about it. You know? <laughs> all right, so, so we're trying to get focused, and we talked about Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2. And it's like, you know, the, the weight of this call that, that, that Nehemiah had, it, it affected him. And, and hearing that there was work to be done, it broke him. And he had to sit down and he had to reflect and hear from God. And, 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 and hearing all of this stuff, <clears throat> we, we risk, I think, passing that on to somebody else. We risk not seeing how this picture translate, translates from what Nehemiah is going through to exactly what we're going through today. We risk not seeing how the kingdom is broken down and the city needs rebuilt. The citizens of God's people need to come back and rebuild a city where they can be citizens again. We, we don't think about, hey, that's, 
That's Kansas City too. Kansas City is broken and it needs rebuilt. We need citizens of God's kingdom to come back to Kansas City and we need to rebuild this kingdom together. Right? So the call that Nehemiah is going through is the same exact call that Andrew Best is going through. It's the same exact call that you guys are going through. Caleb, sorry. I just totally <laughs> blanked on your name. I know your name. It's the same call we go through. We hear from God and we, we hear from our pastors. We hear at Bible study. It's the same call that we all should have that, that hey, we're called to go rebuild the kingdom. There are people, there, there are towers, there's gates that need to be built, which can be ministries, it can be places, it can be homes, whatever you want to associate to whatever it is. We have the same work to do. There's people that need to hear the gospel. There's people that need to be invited to come partake in the building of this kingdom. There's people that need to help you. Every individual matters. So chapter 3, at first glance, is, you can turn there, sorry, I'm in Nehemiah chapter 3, you can turn there. At first glance, it's kind of like, you're like, ugh, names, and you turn the page. <laughs> like, this is so boring, like, you know, it's like the genealogies, it's, you're, you risk missing out on the picture in Nehemiah 3 if you don't take it seriously. We just see a bunch of names, we sigh, we're like, all right, next page, next episode, this has got to be filler, right? Let's get to the meat. Um, but when you really stop and look at these names, there's a few things that stand out. And that first thing is that every individual matters. Every single person that came there was accounted for and had a record of what they did while they were there. Every individual has their name recorded. Um, we have 10 minutes to cover a lot. Um, I'm not gonna, I think if I actually do 10, I'm gonna leave Seth with like way too much time. <laughs> so I'll go a little longer, sorry. But, um, so we have a little time to look at these, but I want, to, I want to look at a couple verses, and then we'll just kind of talk about what's going on. So I want you to pay, especially pay attention to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. It says, and next unto them, so in the middle of this list of stuff that's going on, specifically called out, next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Just stop, let that set, settle. Like that's a specific individual, a specific group's recording of what they did for the kingdom. And then look at, look at verse 12. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. So just, just let that simmer, sit, sit in. So people of all shapes and sizes, you read through here, it, it's this guy and this guy and this guy and his son and this guy, the son of this guy and this guy. This guy brought his daughters and this guy. And then these guys didn't do anything, but they paid their servants to do it. People of all shapes, all sizes, people of means, people who were just servants, people who brought their families along with them to the work, or people that just used their money to get the work done but sat back and did nothing. This is... This isn't your story. So we think of life as like, you know, the whole like we're the main character thing or like I'm a side character thing. The story isn't about Nehemiah. The story isn't about Malchiah. The story isn't about Shalom or, or the Tekoites. That's not what the story is about. They're a part of the story. We have a piece to play in this story, but the story's not even about Nehemiah. The story is about God here. The story for us is about God, but it's about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the main character, and we're, we're just filler. We're the people, the agents that do these random things. The Tekoites were recorded as a part of building the kingdom, but that, that's God's kingdom. God's the main focus. God's the main character, you know? 
and they're recorded as a part of it. Jesus Christ is the main character in our lives, and we just get to be a part. We just get to be those characters, the side characters, the NPCs, the what have you, <laughs> that have the random, jo- the random notes, the random storylines, the random things that are included. And what do you want that to be? What do you want your little blurb in the book to be, right? We're building this kingdom here today, and if we're not careful, what we do becomes about accolades, which is just people saying good job or or people bestowing rewards on you or, or getting affirmed or feeling good about what you've accomplished. If we're not careful, it comes about the positions we can, we can acquire, the, the further advancement up the ladder we can, we can acquire, the titles that we can get just in church. If we're not careful, it becomes about that. No one was bashing who built what gate. No one was put down for building the sheep gate instead of the, the dung gate. Like, no one cared about who was doing what, or I got to put an arch up, but this guy got to build a door. Oh, man, he was so much cooler than what... No one was worried about that. The point is, were you working? Were you doing something when the kingdom was being rebuilt, right? And we need to, Nehemiah wanted to record that, wanted to let it, make it known. So for all of us, I want to give you a heads up that while your sin is paid for, if you accept Jesus Christ, your sin has been paid for. But there is a book being written, and it goes like, all right, and Seth, he repaired three souls by ministering the gospel. Oh, and, and he discipled. He helped, he helped build this gate by discipling these three people. So the same exact way these people are being recorded as building the kingdom, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, your life is being recorded. What are you doing? Are you building? Are you giving back to Jesus? He gave up his whole life. He gave up everything to suffer, to save you. We don't have to worry about our sin anymore, but we do. I mean, I think you should care about what, what, what says there. Or are you going to be the people who just sat back and didn't do anything? Because that gets mentioned too. The, the Tekoites, the nobles, they didn't do anything. And it's written down for everyone to see. It's put on blast. You know. So when you show up at heaven, is it going to be, you know, Uriah sat back and watched the kingdom get built. And that would, that would be terrible. How bad would you feel? Like it, it, It's so conflicting, because you get into heaven, and you're celebrating, like you're so stoked to see Jesus, and, and everything's, you're just celebrating and worshiping, but you see all these people around you who were putting their hands to the plow, who were working, and they did something for Jesus, and you just accepted him, and that was it. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but Let's, let's, let's not feel bad. Let's do something. You know, let's get excited about we do have a chance. It's, it's easy. Like, easy, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, like, simple. It's simple to just be obedient. It didn't matter how skilled you were. It's not like they only brought people who were the best at what they were doing. It's just, hey, I want to build the kingdom. What can you do? I can't do anything. All right, well, go help this guy lift up this door frame. That's easy. Just, just, just. Apprentice disciple somebody. Just obey at work. Just, just instead, of, instead of going along with that conversation that you kind of feel guilty about partaking in because you're saved and they know you're saved, 
Just, just say, hey, I'm a Christian. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. You know, go take those steps of obedience that separate. Just take the small steps. Do the simple things that, that, that you can be written down, that can be written down about you, that you, you're helping build this kingdom. You're doing something with your life, no matter what it is. You don't have to be the leader of, of FOI or, or the pastor of some church that gets sent out. You don't have to. Like, those things are great and required. Every single person matters. Every spot needs to be filled. But it doesn't matter what spot you are, so long as you're being obedient. Does that make sense? Simply obey. God sees. He sees everything you're doing. He sees all these people. He sees the people sitting in the corner. He sees the people caring enough about the work that he brings his daughters along, that he includes his family. And how precious those daughters, maybe nothing else happened in their lives, maybe something did, but because their dad was a biblical father, they get to be recorded as being obedient just because their dad obeyed and brought his family along. Isn't that awesome? So simply obey. He sees what we do. He sees our work, and he sees who doesn't work. Your sin has been judged, but our obedience is still being recorded. Every day it's being recorded. What did we do? What did we do for Jesus? What could we have done? And so I don't want to put a bunch of cross-references in here, but I hope um, we can at least see how, um, you know, settling down here for a minute. 1 Corinthians um, 12 22, or 20 through 22. And this should be a verse we talked about in, in directions. Uh, we're all familiar with it. But now, <coughs> sorry. But now are they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And so I just want to encourage us, all of us, that it doesn't matter what part of the body you are. It doesn't matter if you're an eyeball. It doesn't matter if you're a nose. It doesn't matter if you're a foot. It doesn't matter if you're a hand. All of the things are necessary for the body to work as a body. So go to the kingdom of God picture. Every single piece needs to be built. They were rebuilding the whole thing. It doesn't have to be the only the gate builders, only the door builders, only the stone layers. Every single piece was needed. And so if we are building the kingdom here, and if we are the body of Christ, every single one of us is needed to build up this body. If we're trying to build this city and and we don't have our hand, if we're trying to reach Kansas City for the gospel one-handed, sure, we can get it done, but how much more can we get done with both hands? Or we're trying to do it blind. Maybe you don't feel like you do a lot here, or you don't feel like you have this, this awesome position of authority and leadership, But if you were the eyeball, you know, we're only doing the best we can blind. What if we needed you to be able to see? So I just want to encourage you that every single person was needed to build this kingdom. Every single one of us is needed. We're all a part of Kaya. We're all a part of this body. If you're new, if you're a visitor, hey, we want you to come be a part of the body. We need you to plug in. We need need help. We need the whole body of Christ that Christ desires, which is the world. We need to build this city. We need to rebuild the kingdom for Jesus Christ. Um, amen. So. so, like Uriah said, Nehemiah has been awesome. I'm really, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it with Bible study. And, uh, well, I guess I've got the rest of Nehemiah to cover. <laughs> they only took one chapter. No, I'm kidding. I've got four. Okay, so Nehemiah 4. Uh, 
yeah, Nehemiah is just this awesome book. If you guys haven't read it, you should read it. If you're not in a Bible study, you should join one. You read it with other people. Um, but in Nehemiah chapter 4, uh, in verses 1 through 18, we see attack. Uh, we see conflict, okay? Uh, and then in verses 19 through 23, we see confidence. Okay, so uh, if you were going to title this chapter, it would be Confidence in Conflict. Okay, um, but in, in this first part of the chapter, we see uh, Sanballat uh, and, and his boys. We got Tobiah the Ammonite, and these guys are real jerks, right? So they're just, they're only here to, uh, to stop the work. Like, that's their one goal, okay? And you can, you can even see that in verse 11, is that their goal was to cause the work to cease, Okay, and there's this progression and, uh, of, of how it is that they come against the work of the Lord. And, uh, and we can actually glean some things that we see in this, uh, this kingdom of heaven, this, this physical kingdom context. And we can make application to the kingdom of God, the spiritual, con- the spiritual kingdom. We can make application to, uh, to what we do with attack in our lives. Okay, and so first things first participating in the work will always provoke the enemy, okay? Um, there's a, the old timers would, would say, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you go duck hunting and you shoot, you shoot two ducks, okay, and one is killed instantly and the other's flopping around, uh, which one does the dog go for? The, the one that's still alive, right? So if you're a dead duck, Satan has no reason to go after you, right? You're just a dead duck, okay? It's really silly. But if you're not participating in the work, Satan has no reason to come against you, right? So actually, attack uh, oftentimes is a good sign that that you're headed in the right direction. And uh, as Westerners, as Americans... We hate that. We're like, no, never. The American dream, right? I can't experience anything that's not comfort ever. That's, that's our mindset. But no, as a Christian, we're promised suffering. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen? And so, uh, man, we, we see the enemy in this passage, they have wrath, they have indignation, they have mocking, and they have questions. And uh, man, questions, that's, that's what the enemy was doing at the very beginning, right? Satan asked, did God say that? And that's what Satan's saying today, right? It doesn't matter what, where you're at in your, in your Christian walk. Satan is always trying to sow lies into your life. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So spiritual attack is designed to dissuade and discourage. Okay, but the answer, the answer is prayer. In verse 4 of Nehemiah 4, Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head. 
and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And I love this verse. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Right? And prayer is the thing that allows us to get our minds off of the enemy, off the attack that's working to distract us, and on to the work. Okay, and, and all these guys have, have broken down what the work is and what it looks like to per- participate in that. But just know, going forward, there will be attack. Okay? Um, okay, what happens, though, is, is once you deal with attack, um, Satan always ups the ante. Right? What we see, uh, continuing in, in verse 7, uh, the enemy's not just talking smack anymore. Right, I was just thinking about uh, that scene in the Sandlot where they're, they're just like throwing insults back and forth. And he's like, you play ball like a girl. And I was like, the worst. That was as bad as it could get. Right? It's, it's not that anymore. Right? It's, they're not just words being thrown out. There's not just questions. They come up with a plan to literally destroy the Jews, to bring the work to, to not. Right? To, to physically stop the work at whatever it would take. Okay? And so, know this. Uh, continuing in the work will bring more attack. Right? Like, participating in the work will bring attack. Continuing in it will only bring more attack. Okay? Um, we see this in the book of Acts. Right? It starts out with, uh, with the religious rulers saying... Hey, don't preach in that name. They get a slap on the wrist, okay? They keep, they keep preaching. Eventually, James gets killed, right? And I, I don't want to freak anyone out, but guys, like, if we are headed that direction as a nation, um, I believe in our lifetime we will see uh, some, some pretty real persecution, okay? And so the answer is also prayer, Okay, Nehemiah 4.9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Okay, but it, it goes beyond just prayer. Okay, because they set a watch. They set a watch against them day and night because of them. Okay, and so you need to pray, but you also need to have a plan. Okay, when, when the enemy comes at your door, you need to have a plan in place. All right, when Satan comes at me with this lie... I have this memory verse, right? That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. When Satan came against him, he had the word of God ready to to fight against the enemy. He had a plan in place. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Guys, we we should have a structure for incorporating the word of God into our life practically. We should have a plan. Okay, some, some other notes on attack. Uh, if we look at, at verse 10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. So two things. Attack comes when you're weak. Right? Their strength was decayed. Satan plays dirty. Right? 
he doesn't care that you're tired. Actually, he does care. That's when he comes after you, right? Uh, my discipler, Montana, he would always tell me that, man, the, the moment you wake up, Satan has already had a bowl of Wheaties. He's run five miles, and he's, he is at your bedside, ready. Like, he's ready to go. He's ready to duke it out, okay? So attack comes when you're weak, but it also comes uh, when there's rubbish, is David Sanderson here? I wanted to hear him say the word rubbish. It sounds, it's a very, it feels like a very British word. Rubbish. All right, so, so attack comes when you're weak, but it also comes when you're distracted, okay? When there's rubbish in your life. Sometimes we invite attack into our lives just because there's so much crap, right? That app on your phone, you know that leads you to sin. You, like, you know that, right? You're just inviting sin into your life. And so, uh, man, there, there are some things that, uh, that aren't necessarily sin, but we know, like I know personally, there's some things that if I do, that'll just lead me down the wrong path, all right? And so the answer to both of these, um, right, attack coming when we're weak and when we're distracted, is one, we need to renew our strength. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So, man, if we're weak, let's renew our strength. If we're distracted, if we have rubbish in our lives, let's get rid of it. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Right? That verse says that there's sin, but there's also weight. That's rubbish. Right? We need to get that out so that we're not inviting attack. We're not inviting sin into our lives so that we can run that race unhindered. Okay, just, just a couple more notes on attack from Nehemiah 4. Verse 12 uh, says, And it, it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence you shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So something you need to note about attack is that brothers will have insight into the attack in your life. Right? These are Jews doing the work. And there's these other Jews over here saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. Okay? So we can't ever suffer in silence. God gives us the body of Christ so that we don't ever have to suffer alone. And if you are sitting in a season of attack or a season of trial or temptation, and you're not reaching out to your brothers and sisters who have maybe gone through that exact same thing before, and God wants to use them to speak truth into your life, like you're just forsaking a gift that God wants to give to you, right? Like God, God gives us the body of Christ for that very reason, okay? Your brothers, your sisters have insight, so listen, okay? But then lastly, uh, on attack, we need to remember the Lord. Verse 14 um, Nehemiah says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, 
Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And so, man, when, when we are combating in spiritual warfare, we can never forget that the Lord, like, he's with us, right? We're, we're not ever fighting alone. We have the body of Christ, but we also have the Lord himself fighting for us. Okay, and then this, this next section is, is confidence. Okay, so uh, God had perfected them and given them victory thus far, right? He brought the enemy's plans to naught. And now they were confident that God would continue to give them victory as long as they were doing their part in obedience, right? Um, Nehemiah 4.20, Nehemiah says, In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us? Our God shall fight for us. Right, And it's this facing attack time after time, like trial after trial, going through increasingly more difficult things that you're confident that, no, actually God brought me through that. And God's going to bring me through this. Our God shall fight for us. Right, And then that confidence allows you to labor even harder. It allows you to continue working. Verse 21, so I love this verse. It's like poetic. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. It even rhymes. It's awesome. All right, but that confidence allows you to continue in the work. And we, we see this in the New Testament. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Again, it's that trial. It's walking through attack with the Lord that actually conforms you to the image of Christ. And it's that one thing we despise as Americans, right, is discomfort. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion ever and ever. Amen. Man, that promise is awesome. It's those things that we, we know we want as Christians, right? Like, I want to be perfect. I want to be established, strengthened, settled. Oh, but yeah, yeah. The way I, I do that is I, I've got to go through attack. I've got to face the roaring lion who wants to devour me. Okay? And so um, maybe you're here today and uh, you're going through a season of trial, okay? I want you to find somebody today. Reach out, okay? Get, get that insight that they have, okay? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I have never experienced spiritual attack before in my life, okay? That to me tells me, A, you're not saved, or B, you're not doing the work, 
okay? And if you're not saved, uh, man, we're going to have counselors up here. If you don't know where you are going to spend eternity, we're going to have people up here who uh, will gladly share the good news of Jesus Christ with you, right? That somebody already fought Satan. Somebody already fought sin and death and hell. The biggest enemies we had already taken care of, okay? Um, but if you've never experienced spiritual attack and you, you know you're saved, well, man, let's get to work. Let's find out how you can get on the path to growth. Maybe you need to get plugged into discipleship. Maybe you need to finally take D2. Maybe you need to get uh, enrolled in spring classes for LFBI. Maybe you need to get plugged into a ministry somewhere, okay? But you need to get plugged in. Okay, um, lastly, I, I, I want to just very briefly, I promise, I'm, I'm, I'm about to wrap up. But in chapter 5, it's really interesting, okay? Chapter 4, they go through all this attack, and all you see is there's attack, there's prayer, there's attack, there's prayer. Okay, chapter 5, the thing that's under attack is actually their unity, okay? And uh, arguably, there are zero verses on prayer in that chapter. Um, and the reason is, uh, Jesus tells us, if, if you have something against your brother and you go to worship, actually don't, don't pray. Go be made right with your brother first. Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Okay, and I'm not saying don't pray for our unity. We need to pray for our unity. But, okay, if you have something against a brother or a sister in Christ, let's get that right. Okay, if you don't have a place in the body of Christ, if you're not unified, if you don't have a Bible study, you don't even have to pray about that, right? You can just join a Bible study, <laughs> right? There's, you don't. You can just join a Bible study. Um, and the reason we need that is uh, unity is where God commands his blessing. We see that in Psalm 133. That it's when the brethren dwell together in unity, when they're unified in the mission, when, as Uriah said, they're working side by side on the wall. That's where God commands his blessing. We see that in Acts 2. The chapter begins and ends with the early Christians, unified in prayer and doctrine and breaking of bread. And the Lord added daily such as should be saved. Okay? And, and so I say all that to say, uh, can, I, can I have the Bible study leaders stand up? If you lead a Bible study, can you, can you just stand for a second? Okay, we got a whole lot of Bible study leaders here. If you don't have a place in the body of Christ to, to grow, please talk to one of these people. Get plugged into a Bible study. Get on the path to growth. You guys can, you guys can have a seat. Um, okay, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys. And, uh, and then we are going to just close in praise and worship. But, man, uh, I, I think hopefully everyone has something they know that they can do. Like, when I say amen, either, man, you can come up, you can get prayer, you can grab the person sitting next to you. But, man, let's get to work. Let's have that mind to work. If we're under attack, let's pray. Let's pray about it. Let's get a brother. Let's get a sister in on that. 
And uh, let's win Kansas City to Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, please dismiss us with your blessing. I pray that you would unify us as a people um, so that, uh, Lord, we can receive your blessing. So that uh, more people would just come to Christ and uh, that you would get all the glory. God, uh, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.